along with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Life is but a dream, shaboom, shaboom. And that's true, we are back, believe it or not. Yes, I am Rod Kolek, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, coming from the great states of America. And with me all across into the humble UK Union is the amazing gold standard and ghost hunt the fascinating author of ghostology <sighs> and the most curious of all Steve Parsons I think I preferred it last week when we were pre-recorded at least I could abuse you on there mm, you do anyway I know, good evening there you go so we're, we're live again so which is great so that's, no, that's awesome we we're live again happy so, days are here again there you go i like it if i know that we could have started off together in a duet but uh you kind of blew Except that you can't sing oh i can sing not very I well know. but i certainly can sing how did your weekend go did you enjoy your retreat yes yes it was very good yep very so good italians that we uh, french and italians that retreated no, 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 no. This is a paranormal retreat. Excellent place. Uh, hidden rooms. Hidden hey, did stuff. you did you see that link I sent you about uh, one of your Catholic bishops in America said that yoga is cavorting with the devil? Yeah, I know that. I've seen a lot of them. There's a lot of different stuff, you know. You know, yoga so, pants are evil and whatever. Well, yo- yoga pants, yeah, they're definitely evil. <laughs> but you know, it's all it's all. Whatever. So, so were you cavorting with the devil? Then? I don't know what you're talking about, but that's fine. You were doing. He's yoga, not. My, he's not my bishop, so whatever. Yeah, but you were doing yoga. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no way in hell that I would do yoga. <laughs> if they put me in hell, I still wouldn't do yoga. <laughs> I'm just saying, nothing. That, not that there's anything wrong with it. Uh, no. Moving on. So, there you go. So, anyways, we, it'll take uh, time to get people back uh, listening live again because we've throttled them for the last couple of weeks. But, anyway. So, we have a great show. We have someone all the way from the Great Republic of Ireland with us. And she was supposed to be on a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, you know, the Prime Minister screwed that all up and whatever. But, anyways, uh, we now have her. And she's an amazing historian and folklorist, and she is Jackie Hines. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Ron. Thank you very much for that extremely flattering introduction. And Steve, oh. hi as well. Uh, I hi. feel like I'm I'm interrupting a really deep and meaningful conversation about yoga. So I, I wondered had I tuned into the wrong program. Probably. No, you never know what the hell's going to come out of our mouths. That's for <laughs> I, sure. I was just wondering, Steve, if maybe we should have brought a yoga mat to Enniscorthy Castle. Would that have helped Ooh. us? Well, maybe maybe put one into the dungeon. Okay. Oh, I my... know that this stuff is cool, and people had a great time, and they really enjoyed themselves. 
and we didn't do any scientific crap at all. So it was a great weekend. <sighs> and yoga. Yeah, that's part of the spiritual part of the spiritual weekend. We we get in touch with our inner selves, dear Jackie. Yeah, if you do yoga properly, with lots of with with lots lots of Bailey hot cocoa and yeah, uh, I can just imagine if you do yoga badly, you will be doing. It was awesome. Is there pictures? Hope not. Yeah, there's a whole (laughs) bunch of my page of of me (laughs) having a good time, getting in touch with his inner self, literally. Hey, we did table tipping there, and we yeah. got, and through table tipping, which yeah, is a God. fun little thing to do, oh, we God. connected with a little girl whose name was Iris and drowned in a river. And guess what? We found a grave. Oh, boy, that spiritual stuff is a bunch of crock, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, right. I think I'll just stay speechless. Yeah, you should be speechless. That's the best way you are, actually. Okay. All right, you continue, then. No, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. I'll actually talk to someone who knows a lot about this spiritual stuff, and, and that is folklorist Jackie. So, Jackie, uh, we were going to have, have you on the show to talk about uh, uh, St. Patrick's, but that kind of went by the wayside. So, did, I, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Steve was telling me, and of course he knows everything about Ireland, uh, that you guys don't celebrate St. Patrick's Day. What? We don't. No. It's a very quiet, sedate <laughs> affair, you know, spent with your family at home in deep contemplation, reverence and yoga. So no, no, not a big day at all. You know, Christmas might be a little bigger, but not St. Patrick's Day. No, I, actually, I don't even know when it is. That's, yeah, because, yeah. that's because there's no Irish left in Ireland. They've all moved. I mean, that's half true. the world is now populated by the Irish. Yeah, most I, of I, our I, government I thought you were going to be quiet, by the way. Sorry. I was just saying that most of our government go overseas as well. So <laughs> 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 There's a big clear out in Ireland. Uh, and we all go to wonderful places around the world where they make everything green. Um, in recognition of our patron saint who banished snakes from Ireland. So I, I was amused to hear you say that we, you'd be, we'd be telling you unbelievable stories from Ireland. So, ah, yeah, we probably can do that okay. Um, starting with St. Patrick and banishing snakes. Hmm, that's good. So uh, do you have any snakes in Ireland? Um, of the human kind or the <laughs> reptilian kind? Well, not now since Steve's going back to Wales. Ah, uh, never. That's very harsh. Very. Um, oh, thank you. Well, I suppose they're mostly zoo-contained or domestic ones. Although I think I did see a story in the papers lately about some sort of very large snake being found down a toilet or something like that. So maybe they're making a, a return to Ireland. You know what? Some American probably brought them over. You know how crude uh, they could be. In hand luggage, probably. Yeah, hand luggage. I'm sure they did. <laughs> That's the only thing that's allowed now in hand luggage, isn't it? You banned everything else. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. I No, I did have loads of St. Patrick stuff for you. Um, oh. And all about downing the shamrock and drowning the shamrock. But we'll do that another day. We'll we'll drown shamrock another day, so we will. Well, we'll have to plan ahead for next year. We and, will. And uh, hope there's no snowstorms. Yeah, there you go. So, no. anyways... Uh, you 
are well, I have to just for those who haven't heard you on the show before. How did you get involved in uh, Irish folklorists? She's Irish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good start. I, well, actually, I went my my degree is a Bachelor of Arts degree, and it's in history, geography, not geography, history, uh, archaeology, and Irish folklore. And mm. in second year in archaeology, you go off and you do folklore. Um, as a module and then if you like it a lot you can go and do it in second year so you do it in first year as a module and if you like it a lot you can go and do it in second year and third year and I thought it was much easier to not bother learning dates than to learn dates in history so I took up folklore instead where you don't really need to remember dates you don't need oh, to good. remember numbers hugely and anything you make up is just a new version of the tradition so that's you know <laughs> takes the pressure off don't they call that uh, processual theory in archaeology? Um, Where any 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 theory that uh, basically is a good theory until you can disprove it. Uh, the well, well, when I was in college, the flip of it was actually if you couldn't understand it, it was a ritual site. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry now for condemning the whole tradition and of, of archaeology. It has yeah. come a long way in my time. So it was, you know. it was it was a faint for those who uh, I think it's actually popular both sides of the Atlantic. Time Team, um, the uh, British uh, archaeology program. I think that was one of their most their, their most favoured explanations for anything that they didn't understand. It was they ritual. Trot out it's ritual. <laughs> well, that would know. be an ecumenical matter. It's a bit like that one, isn't it? Uh, but technology has come along a huge amount now. I'm, I'm now going to try and salvage the, the um, terrible damage I've done to the archaeological profession in Ireland and say technology and knowledge has come a long way in the last 20 years. So um, no more ritual sites. We, we know what everything is. There you go. That's there a brave go. statement. I've gone complete the exact opposite of what I have just said and that, I, you know, everything is ritual go by going to the other extreme. But yeah, let's go on to fairies, which makes a lot more sense and will get me out of the large hole I'm digging. Well, that's important, too, because uh, this year at Spirit Quest... If I'm uh, sectioning the hole, it won't matter. Yeah, this year at Spirit Quest, we'll be doing uh, uh, a workshop on uh, fairies, uh, Roxy Zwicker will be making fairy houses. You have a fairy house workshop, and they will be actually trying to capture capture them on film. And if Steve Parson goes this year, he'll be doing one on the cottonling fairies. What? You know, which, those guys. which fairies? Which ones? The cottling, cottlings, whatever. Yeah, yeah. He, he means the cotting. Actually, there are. There is a huge difference uh, in preparing for Spirit Quest and this idea of fairy houses and fairy bowers and little fairy trails uh, between the fairies that we have this side of the Atlantic, because this idea of the Tinkerbell fairy doesn't exist in either the Welsh folklore relating to fairies or, correct me if I'm wrong, the Irish folklore relating to fairies. Because well, why don't we hear, hear what actually Jackie has to say about Irish I was about to refer to it till you interrupted. Well, no, actually, I'm going to agree with St with Steve, not because it's the safest thing to do, but that, that is actually correct. You um, just like I, him better than me. No, that is not true. That is not true. I, I like besides, you're as fit. Yeah, you know, like everybody has their favorite child. You're, he's your favorite child. 
there's a new canon. I'm older than Jackie, actually, but there's a new <laughs> canon. There's a new canon. Oh, whatever. Yeah. There's, a new canon, there's a new cannonball here, Jackie. But bear, bear that in mind. <laughs> Irish fairies, remember? Irish fairies. Yes. Uh, no, actually, Steve is right. Um, a huge oh, market, that. commercial market has grown up in Ireland and probably Wales as well, Steve, where fairy doors um, mm -hmm. normally sane people um, buy this piece of wood mm -hmm. for their fairy and the fairy um, lives in the house and goes in and out as it wants. And it's now just huge, big business altogether. Um, but to be honest, fairies... Um, in Ireland, Irish fairies, they're around since the Celtic period. So they're here, you know, at least two and a half thousand years. Um, but they can be either benevolent or they can be really kind of nasty, depending on what humour they're in with you. But to be honest, according to the folk tradition, they look exactly like us. They're as tall as we are. Um, the only difference between us and the fairies is that they're a little bit paler. They're a little bit paler in appearance to us. But otherwise, you wouldn't know the difference between uh, Steve and a fairy, for example. I have a hard time myself, actually. <laughs> there you go. Um, As Jackie says, think, think more Lord of the Ring type fairies than um, Tinkerbell. Uh, oh, they get yeah. pointed ears in. A bit, a bit smegly, only better dressed. So... Oh. tend to wear silk or satin, so they're quite well-dressed, but about the same height as us, um, but a little pale in the face. Because um, I was thinking about, it said, where science and relig religion clash. And mm -hmm. when Christianity then came to Ireland, you couldn't have all these pagan fairies running around the place wreaking havoc. So how do you make a pagan tradition into a Celtic tradition? And what they did was they decided that actually the fairies were fallen angels from when oh, God... that's a good idea. Yeah, there you go. So when God had had a row with Lucifer um, and all these angels then um, were basically kicked out of heaven um, and they were fallen angels. And that's how the cat or the Christianity, how the Christian church explained fairies um, to, to, their, to their believers. Yeah. Um, which was a bit of a problem because the fairies apparently, according to the folk tradition, had white blood. And then God had created these beings that were red haired and had red blood. Ooh. So if you went out in the morning and you found kind of white stuff uh, down around the grass and around your garden, that had, that was the fairies. Ah. Uh, so that explained all of that, that the fairies had been around during the night. But it also led to a bit of conflict uh, between the fairies and mortals as the fairies uh -oh. could either, like I said, they could either be very kind or very benevolent to you. They often give gifts of uh, gifts to people, gifts of poetry, gifts of wisdom. Um, the kings were often supported and, and benefactors of the, the fairies. Um, but it did lead to some tension as the fairies then tried to um, get some of this red blood that would try them, uh, and get them back into heaven. Uh -huh. And that brings us, uh, yeah, that's where we are with the poor fairies. So plenty of stories in Ireland. So they became vampires then? That sounds like a class I did with uh, the children today about the resurrection. So let's not go there. <laughs> Okay. Actually, there's, there's an interesting twist in this idea of the fairies being paler, 
because one theory that was proposed is that it relates to the movement of Anglo-Saxons into Celtic areas because the, the Celts are darker-skinned and uh, possibly even red-haired by comparison to their blonde-haired, 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 blue-eyed, um, the Nordic uh, sort of Anglo-Saxons. Aryan race. Yeah, uh, and as they migrated uh, to the west from Europe through uh, the British Isles into Ireland, they were regarded as a as another race entirely, and they were fair folk. Mm-hmm. And there are references in um, Welsh Celtic literature to fair folk, but that means the Anglo-Saxons, not the fairies. Now, in Ireland, they will be called the she, S-I, father. And the father, the father is like a little 45-degree line on top of the on top of the vowel on top of the i so she and it makes the vowel long so she um but oh. a she in celtic times would have been a mound um which gives you the link then between mm-hmm. fairies inhabiting mounds so archaeological features of mounds or ring forts or cairns or passage tombs any of those um archaeological features so the she then would have lived in the mound. But it was very important if you came across the, the, the fairies that you certainly didn't call them by name. You didn't call them a fairy or a she. Um, oh, why very, is that? Um, well, I suppose they didn't really like it very much. So the, the important thing to say to them was, was to call them Nadini Ma. So I'm going to teach you a little bit of Irish now, Ron. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> he has trouble with English. Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> so we'll try it. It's not so bad. Nadini Ma. Madini Ma. Nadini Ma. Very good. The good people. So you call oh. them good people? Na, 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 na. Dini. D A O I N E. Dini. Dini. Dini Ma. M A I T H E. Ma. M-I-T-H-E, Ma? Ma, yeah, that's it. Nadini Ma, Ma. the good people. Nadini Ma. It's like pulling teeth, this, isn't it? It (laughs) He's doing very well. He's doing very well. And then you could call them Nadini Ushla. Oh, God, here we go. You've got Nadini already. (laughs) Nadini Ushla. Fabulous. They are the noble people. Oh, okay. I'd be a a Nadini Ushla. See, now Steve Mocking is catching because that is actually quite a good accent. He's said it in as well. He's reverted to his native Polish, I think, for that one. (laughs) (laughs) So Nadini Ma or or Nadini Ushla is how you would address a fairy if you met them. So how would you know the Ma from the Ushla? Um... It, it doesn't matter. It's interchangeable. Okay. Um, so there's no there's no one being more preferred than the other. Well, I didn't know if they would get insulted if they were Ushla and you call them Ma. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, but good. the best thing is to Thank not God. call them she or fairies because then you're in trouble. So, okay. yeah. Never, never call them that. Um, plenty of stories. Um, so, Steve, wait a minute. If I call them that, what's going to happen to me? No, it doesn't. It. <laughs> I've opened my book here, and it doesn't tell me what happens to them. 
Do, 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 do. Oh, oh no, shioga is quite a disparaging word. Oh, shioga. Yeah, better not do that. Like, no, no um, shioga. No, don't call them a she or shioga as it was no, uh, no. insulting to them. Madini ma. Certainly, if you, if you insulted a Welsh fairy, you could expect to disappear for uh, for, an, for for seven years, I think it was, for a first offence. And if you continue to upset oh, really? and offend the fairies, they would drag you to their underground. Because they always lived underground. They're like Teletubbies. Um, and it, they, would, they would take you from this world into the fairy world. Um, and you would not return. However, if they were benevolent, they could take you, or if you discovered their underground world and they were benevolent they could take you there and there were there are tales in welsh culture of people marrying the fairies and being given vast wealth and vast riches and gold uh, but if they ever revealed the source of their riches or crossed the fairies um this would all be taken back from them and that in in severe cases they would be taken from this world into the fairy realm forever yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just seeing here the fairy dwellings when a human gains access to them are beautiful places decorated with precious metals and with sumptuous food and drink and melodious music. And therefore can be Sounds seen... Sounds like Trump Tower. No, mm, mm, yeah. <laughs> There's no answer to that. There isn't. <laughs> Carry on. There's no answer to that one. So yeah, you could go to the you could go to the fairy uh, world. You could be taken to the fairy world. Usually, like we said, it was um, in a fairy ring, in a fairy fort. A lone bush on its own, as well, was often seen as an intersection of um, two fairy pathways. So you were always keeping an eye out for a fairy bush on its own. But plenty of stories of women who were uh, married who uh, men mortal men who married fairy women and that's in uh, folklore from all over ireland as far back as the ninth century so there was a story about uh, the earl of inchiquin which is the o'brien family from county clare so if you're familiar uh, your listeners are familiar with the cliffs of moore those really famous cliffs on the west coast of Ireland, that's County Clare. So one day he was walking by the side of Lake Inchiquin when he met and fell in love with a beautiful maiden. She became his wife, but laid one condition on him, that he was never to bring any of his friends to the house to see her. They lived happily together until one day he went horse racing. Really, that a bad sign, bad sign. And brought home a friend home with him to show him his beautiful wife. Heartbroken at how the Earl had disregarded the prohibition, the lady returned to the lake and was never afterwards seen. Oh, so yeah. sad. They're a warning to all men who go horse racing. Yeah, Jackie. Yeah. Do, do, I love horse yeah, racing. Do the Irish fairies have uh, the same desire as uh, their counterparts over here to steal babies? What? They do. Yep, yep. Changelings? Uh, no, no, no. They, they actually steal babies over here. Yeah, and then replace it with a fairy baby. Like yeah, a couple of yeah, yeah, that's it. All as part of trying to get that red blood back into their body. If I go back a step, there are stories in the Irish folk tradition of fairies appearing to priests or appealing to people going to mass to ask a priest at the point of the consecration whether they would be with it whether the fairies would ever gain salvation and the answer is always no 
So oh. in an attempt for to gain salvation and get this red blood that the, the mortals have, they often steal the babies or they might steal a mother who's recently had a baby who would be used as a wet nurse. So plenty of stories about children being um, being taken. Plenty of stories in the folk tradition as well as to how you could identify a changeling. Um, and it's often the story where a babysitter might come in and do something and then the baby will stand up in the cot and start to speak um, beyond its years. And then their identity is revealed and they're sent off um, and told to send the baby back. But um, as a means of protecting yourself from uh, fairy abductions, I had mentioned to you where the people used to pin a piece of red material onto the chest of the baby as it was asleep um, to protect it being taken. But there's another uh, other accounts of other things that you could do to prevent uh, abduction against it. Um, and it says the, the fairies are, are very fastidious and disliked anything which was dirty, which is why they're never in our house. Um, <laughs> you never find a fairy in our house. Therefore, it was believed to be good, a good thing to keep the foot water in the house. So the water you'd washed your feet in. And in some places, it was customary to sprinkle a drop of urine on the children before they left the house. Ah. Not sure that would work in our house. Um, no. Steve, what do you think? Steve? Uh, well, we have similar customs to protect the children from being abducted by fairies also. Um, there are certain blessings, there are certain things you leave above the door, sprigs of, of uh, herbs. And that same thing about the red cloth um, applies over here equally too. Hmm. Yeah. My mother always I, said I was a changeling. And her evidence was? She wanted to get rid of him. Yeah, because I was not like any other ones. That's true. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, I suppose while, while we're being a little bit, or, or I, maybe I'm just mostly me being a little bit glib about it, people had a genuine fear, uh, you know, in you know, 19th, 20th century Ireland of the fairies. And I know I've explained to you before that that's the reason why a lot of our archaeological features have been protected in the landscape because people were afraid of the, people were afraid of the fairies and what would happen to them if they um, did any harm to the fairy fort. Um, mm -hmm. So they, ha they have been, you know, if we park all that the fairy doors thing um the tradition that we have of the fairies here as as moving among us as walking amongst us as you might not even know you were standing beside a fairy because they're able to come and go so quickly um give a protection and we have to go we actually have to come and go quickly because it's break time <laughs> very good so, anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with the fabulous Steve Parson and the most humble Ron Cola, and our very special guest, the charming Jacqueline Hines. And we'll be right back after the following messages right here on Tojinet, Pararex, and wherever else we'll be in play. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. 
feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Back live once again. It's part two of Ghost Chronicles. In, shut up, international. And <laughs> tonight we're revisiting um, a land that I've grown very fond of, a country I've grown very fond of, America, uh, Ireland. Oh. I, I I used to like America till it. Uh, well, anyway. Um, <laughs> now before the with our guest Jackie Hines, Jeff off uh, of the Golden Bricks, right? yeah. whatever it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Breakfast, uh, maybe. Before the break, we were talking to Jackie Hines about fairies, and there are some similarities to the Welsh fairies. And I'm wondering, and I'm going to throw a curveball in here, if some of the death and ghost, the death rituals and customs associated with passage to the next life are also similar. Uh, over here, we have some. Uh, we have the Sin Eater. Um, as one of the one of the um, stories attached to death in, on the west coast of Wales, and um, also we we pass or they used to in the right up until the early days of the twentieth century, they used to pass the corpse up a chimney. Yeah, that's as a good as idea. Another, as another weird ritual Toasty little thing. So, um, Jackie. Yes. Are you aware of any weird rituals um, and bizarre practices associated with? They have the banshee. No, no, Which... I'm talking about the weird stuff that the that the people get up to, rather they than they actually do to the bodies. Yeah, or around you know the funeral sort of rituals. The, stra- the strangest story I can remember was at a wake. So you're familiar with the concept of a wake. Oh yeah. Irish wakes are uh, well known around the world. Yeah, so something like that. But the, the, this wake one day had uh, took place in a barn, 
um, in uh, actually it happened to be in County Wexford, which is where I am in the very southeast of Ireland. Um, but it was a man who worked on the farm. So they laid him out on the on a flat board. And at night time, he was on a set of pulleys and at night time, they lowered him down to the ground for the wake to take place. And then during the day, they winched him back up again to the ceiling and the work took place underneath. Now, that tradition would have probably taken place, you know, 80, 90 years ago. Um, the, the, the concept of a wake, I suppose, is, pardon the pun, dying out in Ireland in that we now have funeral parlours where people go um, the vast majority of funerals would now take place in the funeral parlour, whereas for oh. my grandparents, even the wake would have taken place at home. Um, yeah. So they would have been waked at home for. So did they embalm the bodies at home or did they, what they do with the, how, did they embalm them at all? There's um, it would only be if the funeral was delayed for any length of time. Now, we still if you died on the Monday, the burial would be on the Wednesday. So you would, you'd only have the three days. Mm -hmm. um, so. To, so so it's stick grandpa in the living room and, and there he is. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. There you go. For, so say it was on the Monday, people would come on the Monday, they'd stay over Monday night. Cause it's most, you know, it was really important that the body was never left on its own. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tuesday, then you'd have removal to the church. As long as the telly was in the room. Sorry? As long as the telly was in the room, it'd be fine. Televisions weren't turned on. Oh, so that's a shame. No, no television, no radio in the house. The house would be completely silent except for the people that had come and go. But people no would Zach all Baggins? come and uh, No pagans either. No, no. Zach Baggins. Zach Baggins. Ghost, Same thing. Uh, Ghost Same Avengers. Thing. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Ghost Hunters. <laughs> Uh, not around the time of the wake, no. Okay. Uh, and then you'd go, so you'd be taken to the church the night time and then the funeral would be the next day. And it would be very rare that the funeral would be held over unless somebody was coming over back from overseas. Whereas um, in England and Wales, you know, a funeral could take 10 days, Steve, couldn't it? So Only, it was, only since the Conservative government got to power in the 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 local council services were decimated but if we go back say 50 40 50 years to uh, you know the sort of the latter um, part of the 20th century there were there, there weren't that many differences um, from what you're just saying to what I experienced growing up over here um, you know uh, prior to uh, the modern practice of hospital death and the the undertaker be becoming involved the the you know the person who died would be laid out in the front parlor um and there would be due ritual and everybody would come to visit the house um and then the night before the actual funeral the undertaker would come and collect the body um and arrange for them to go to the church or the chapel um, but we we had very similar ritual um practices in that um the, the house would be silent. All of the curtains would be drawn in the house uh, on the side facing uh, outwards, you know, onto the street or the road. And all of the neighbours' curtains would also be drawn. To, um, and there were also practices, I, I, which I, I guess are fairly common, the one of laying pennies over the over the deceased person's eyes uh, or placing a penny into the hand to pay the ferryman. 
Uh, so they were all quite common practices whilst I was growing up. Yeah, the penny, not so much the tradition of paying the ferryman, but literally to keep the eyes shut. Yeah, well, that was, I mean, that was the practical application of it. Practical application. <laughs> yeah, it was a practice, but it was always told as, um, you know, as, as it was the fare for the crossing, but it was entirely, you know, primarily a practical application. Yeah. Um, oh, or the jaw was bandaged as well in some instances, I remember. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we have a tradition here in Kilmore Park, the, the, the small administrative area beside us here, where every funeral going to the three cemeteries in um, Kilmore will have a wooden cross brought with them. So there's the wooden cross that goes on the grave, the grave mark. Before the headstone is put on, but there's a second and it's placed in the ditch in a hawthorn bush, in a hawthorn uh, bush, and the crosses are are laid there. And you know, every couple of years, the the ones at the bottom are taken out. But it's a tradition that some say goes back to Charlemagne in the um, oh gosh, what oh the Crusades in the Crusades. Oh yeah, yeah. And that, that's the only place in Ireland where that tradition is done. Um, but it's still continued to the present day. So you know, it, I, I always meant to ask you, because I went uh, cemetery tripping, as the Americans call it, to one of the graveyards in Kilmore and was quite surprised to see what appeared to be broken up crucifixes, crosses um, at the edge of the graveyard. I, I, I always wondered about that, but you just answered that question for me. So obviously the ones at the top are the newer ones, the more recent ones, the ones at the bottom then are the ones that the are The most there. recent one is hanging on my wall. <laughs> Didn't hear that. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Disco Jesus. <laughs> is that the one with the flashing lights? No, no, no. Disco oh. Jesus came from a Welsh chapel. Yeah. Um, but even tradition around the candles that were placed beside the, the corpse, what you did with those when they were when they were burned down. It wasn't that you just threw them out, that there was a tradition associated with that. Um, there was and, and because everything w was in Latin up until the 50s, um, there's a wonderful prayer called the De Profundis. And I, I don't know it in Latin, but you can Google it. The De Profundis, the first line of it is out of the depths of my despair. I cry, oh, Lord, Lord, answer my call. Um, but it's a wonderful prayer in Latin, even, and how that was said. So all the rituals about cleaning so the body. What happened, what happened to the candles? Um, you've caught me on the hop now um, <laughs> because. Well, uh, you brought them up. I didn't I bring did. them up. I did. I well, while, well, while Jackie while Jackie looks up the the use of the funeral candles, I can relate a. There's a similar that we have a, a ritual or a, a use for candles here in the um, in the UK that I've maintained and goes right there. I was always taught it. You keep the baptism candle because uh, when, when a child is baptized or christened into... Yeah, we have that in the, in the US the, too. Uh, the, a candle is, is burned during the ceremony, but that candle is then given to the child as a protector, um, as part of the, the thing that they carry forward as a reminder, but also as a protective am amulet almost of... Um, a, a reminder of the baptism in Christ. 
Yeah, we have that in the U.S. And it's also a, a very, very powerful device for use in exorcism rituals. In fact, within the Catholic Church, uh, baptism candles are were the original candles used in the bell, book, and candle ritual. Uh, they use actually used baptism candles. Oh, we have. Well, the, you'd have your baptismal candle, which you'd use then at confirmation uh, again. But we have the Feast of St. Blaise, which yeah, we takes do too. place yep. in February, where the, the, the candles are blessed um, and your, ca- your candles for the year then for the house are blessed mm-hmm. um, and you keep those. So I, my grandmother was terrified of lightning altogether. So anytime there was lightning going, the electricity would be switched off and the blessed candles would come out. So um, at, at the, at the uh, Feast of St. Blaise, do, do they do the throat blessing? Yep. Yeah, they do. Yeah, absolutely. So yep. um, if if you're interested in that, you go off to Mass uh, on the Feast of St. Blaise and you get your throat blessed. Um, right. And then your candles then are what's used for the year. But um, like the blessed candles are in our house as well, up in the mm-hmm. top press. Um, and, and they're there if they're ever needed for anything. So those blessed candles are what would be used um, yeah, handy okay. should should your house ever require an exorcism. Yeah, well, or for, Steve for many things. But many you things, also right. you also have that very so, cool thing. So before we do that, though, uh, Saint Blaise, a lot of people don't realize that he was a physician, physician, and uh, when what? Uh, what you know a doctor. Oh. Uh, so uh, when uh, he was actually, yeah, that too, and uh, so he was uh, he was Christian, so they. Paganism was very strong, and they, they drove him uh, into the wilderness, and he lived in a cave, and he actually tended to animals. And uh, he, he, uh, a hunter came out and found all these animals outside his caves, wanted to know what the hell was going on. And so they went in, and they found him there treating the animals, and they dragged them back to town, and they put them in jail, and they said if they converted to paganism, then uh, they would let him go, but uh, they sa- he said no, so they threw him in prison. While he was in prison, uh, back in the days, you know, they kept uh, women and children and everybody in prison together. A child uh, choked on a bone, and St. Blades uh, actually helped, uh, you know, get the bone out and save them. And that's how the, the blessing of the throats all came about. Eventually, uh, he was... At that, after that, uh, they were going to release him again. All he had to do was renounce, and he wouldn't. So they hung him up and skinned him alive uh, with uh, combs, steel combs. And he the is also to do with candles. So he is also the patron saint of of woolcombers. So yeah, but what's he, that got to do with candles? I mean, did, I mean if they, they dipped him in wax and then set fire to his head, you know, I mean, because I of the blessing, been... blessing of the throats. That's where that comes from yeah, because he but... saved saved them. Yeah, I understand that. I get the idea about combing sheep, but this idea about candles, I mean, you know, if they make, you know, did they dip him in wax, set fire to his head, and then use him as a human candle? I don't know. Oh, like... well, they did behead him, so there you go. There you go. We should have dipped him in wax. And... Well, think about the dipping him in wax. The blessing, though, protects you from all ailments of the throat, so exactly. maybe something to do with that. That's what it has to do with, so anyway. Well, you were the one that brought up candles, Ron. And St. Blaise. 
No, I didn't. No, I did. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's still nothing to do. Pay attention, I was, show. I was just trying. I was just. Well, I can't get a word in edgeways for you, but well, I was just trying to relate. Up, on here for God's I sake. was just trying to relate how St. Blaze had anything at all to do with candles. All right. On that note, I think we should have the teller of curious tales. Yes, let's. Yeah, let's let's do that. So, can it's we have the candles, teller of curious sweet. tales? Yeah, it's probably about candles. Yeah, undoubtedly. So, Ben. Maybe. Maybe not. And cute take. Tonight, I, the teller of curious tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories. True stories stranger than any fiction ever written. Listen to the teller of curious tales. This is the story of the wickedest city in the world, Irkutsk in Serbia. This city has a population of about 120,000 people, and as many as 500 murders are committed in a year's time. Arrests average only one for every 50 murders, and less than half of these are followed by convictions. Several years ago, the decent elements of the population borrowed a page from our own West and attempted to form a vigilante committee to rid the city of its criminals. But all the ex-convicts and active thugs joined this committee, crowding out the decent members, so conditions became worse than they were. The vigilantes shot rich merchants in broad daylight in order to rob them. Any citizens suspected of having anything worth taking had his house burglarised under the pretense of house inspection and penal confiscation. No man's life or property was safe until the central government at Moscow sent soldiers to rid the city of its vigilantes. Today, under what practically amounts to martial law, crime has fallen to some extent. At any rate, it isn't in the open anymore. Most of the law-breaking is committed indoors. When these soldiers are withdrawn, what will happen then? Your guess is as good as mine. The gong strikes. My time is up. On my next visit... I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. The teller of curious tales has closed his book and about to go on his way. I'll be back again on Ghost Chronicles International with more strange stories. Sleep tight. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sleep tight yet because we haven't finished. Well, you could. You can always catch it on, uh, you know, iTunes. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International, Steve Pass and Ron Cullock. Our special guest is Jack Lee Hines. Jackie Hines. So, yes, Ron. <laughs> still there, right? I am. Yes, That's listening good. to the uh, Teller of Tall Tales. Yeah. 
Ah, Tall Tales. That's a good one. We'll change the name to it just for you. That'd it's be, Curious it Tales. Better. Yeah, Tall is better. Yeah, I think so, too. I could use a tall one myself. <laughs> I was looking at my story here, how leprechauns came to Ireland, but that really pales into insignificance. <laughs> Wait a minute. How did leprechauns come to Ireland? Did they, like, get the wrong boat or something? I was going to say it's a short story, but no story in Ireland is ever short. There you go. <laughs> uh, but the gist of it is that one Midsummer's Eve, the king of the fairies and his poet and his queen, the poet said, the king said, well, you know, I'm really the best person and the most clever and the bravest and there's no better king than him. And his poet kind of burst out laughing. Was his name said, Ron? Yeah. <laughs> um, Yes, actually, it was, Ron. Yeah, have you oh, seen the story before? No, I just recognised the personality trait. Yeah, His probably one of my relatives. Eishert was the poet's name. Yeah, that's, that's Ron and uh, Gullickley. There you go. The king, the big-headed one. Oh, the king. Uh, what was his name? Ron. There was a Saint Ron, you know. He was, uh, he, he was a Ogden. chieftain. He was a chieftain. St. Ron was a chieftain. St. Ronald actually was a chieftain. I believe he's Scottish and uh, he was killed by his own men. I'm just saying. Blame him. Mm. Oh, so yeah. move, move right along. Right. So, yeah, so the guy. Poet burst out laughing anyway, saying he had never heard of such nonsense in all his life. And the king was highly disgusted by this. And the poet said that he had heard of a great place in Ireland called Awen Vaca, which is in Armagh up in the very north of Ireland. Um, and there's a huge, big royal site in Awen Vaca. Um, and he said that um, Fergus was the king there and that they were all giants. And really, they were a, a miles better king than he was. So the king of the leprechauns said, right, sure, off you go then and come back to me in six days with proof that um, this fella, Fergus, is uh, a better king than I am. So off the poet went anyway. And he had this wonderful power and ability for to, in no length of time, get from where the leprechauns lived to Awen Vaca. And he was there in no time. And he got into Fergus's fort in Awen Vaca and made his way into the kitchen and somehow finds his way in the middle of a big pot of porridge. Don't ask me how that happened. But he became friends with Fergus's poet and he stayed um, there for the six days and then had to go back with the proof that Fergus and uh, the king uh, in Awen Vaca of the of the the um, that troop that tribe were uh, infinitely better than the leprechauns so he had done a deal with the king and that if he came back in six days the king and the queen would have to go back to Fergus and see what he was on about so the king and the queen went back to Awen Vaca and Fergus was so delighted to have them there that he kept them there for a year and a day but decided he kind of liked these little small tiny people that were now living with him because they were kind of nice to come and look at and he wouldn't let them go back and they said but we have to go back uh, we like you know we want to go home now thanks very much and Fergus said well you know I can't really let you go back and they said well well, sure, we'll give you whatever you want. We'll give you this wonderful cap. We'll give you these wonderful shoes that will fit any man that are the best shoes you could wear. They can be as big or as small as the person wants. Um, and so Fergus said, Grand, sure, I'll take the shoes. And he let them go back. 
And that was how the leprechauns came to Ireland. Yeah, that was a short story. <laughs> uh, no, that is an extremely abridged version of it. Ah, so at least we know that. We've learned quite a bit today, so that's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, you told me you liked leprechaun stories, so I went looking for some leprechaun stories for you. Uh-huh. But I, I'll send you the full version that if you want to have a look at it, you can put it up on uh, your website or your Facebook page and all your listeners can listen to the full version rather than the very condensed version that I've given you. That's very so sweet of you, the, Jackie. All the listeners, both of them. Ha ha. That's very sweet of you, Jackie. All right. I Thank will you. do that for you. <laughs> it still doesn't so, explain how, how everybody in the world suddenly wears um, green top hats on St. Patrick's Day. It's something to do with alcohol. No, but they also do wear red beards, and that might have something to do with the red hair. Yeah, but we don't want to go into the St. Patrick's Day stuff because mm-hmm. she's going to come back and do it on that some other day. Because we're oh, far okay. beyond that, right? Yep, we'll come back. You know, maybe around Christmas time might be a good time to talk about St. Patrick. How about St. Patrick's Day? Uh, yeah, that's okay. My diary's clear. Oh, good. St. Patrick, St. <laughs> Patrick, who is, of course, Welsh. That is true. Yes, we'll concede that one. <laughs> Moving right as, along. As, as my wife keeps reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, but he did come out, he, when he came from uh, Antrim, obviously a lot of things went on in Antrim. Uh, they imprisoned him on um, Schlieve Mish. No St. Uh, Patrick's Day stuff. Uh, no, but he came out to Wexford to go back to me. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Okay, fine. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, we we are winding down. Do you have a a, a shot uh, tale to tell us? Me? Is it me? Um, yeah, it would Ron? be you. Yeah, you're the guest. Yes. <laughs> I did have a lovely poem for you about leprechauns, but the oh, let's have it. Of, how long have you got? Uh, three one, minutes. One minute. One minute. Three uh, minutes. Three minutes. Um, it's about Micheline Emmett O'Shea. I met a wee leprechaun one summer's day. I should say it's written by Deirdre and Jim McCarthy. It's not by me. He called himself Micheline Emmett O'Shea. With his jacket of crimson and buttons of gold, he was a fine vision for me to behold. On shoes he was working as I wandered by, and dropping his hammer, he gave a great cry. Me japer, says he, you give me a scare. Tell me how long have you been standing there? Not long, said I, hardly believing my eyes. You're a leprechaun, sure. What a lovely surprise. I've been out for a walk by this old castle ruin. Now, do you mind telling me what's that you're doing? Begara, said he, I'll tell you all right. These shoes I've been working on for a fortnight. And if they're not finished by Saturday morn, I'll have to put up with Her Majesty's scorn. For it's the queen of the fairies to whom they belong. So be on your way, little girl, get along. I'll leave it there and I'll read the rest of it for you then another day. No, I still got two minutes. Go. Oh, still have two minutes. Oh, sorry. Yes. I heard something. So I, that'll do once you give me your gold. For now that I've seen you, you must so, I'm told. Now, where are you hiding your treasure, do tell? Is it up in a tree? Is it down in a well? All right, then, said he. Tis way across the bog. Right next to the stream where there lives an old frog. And if you dig deep, you'll find it all right. But you'd better start now, girl, for soon twill be night. 
I'll never regret meeting me here today, or my name isn't Micheline Emmett O'Shea. Then I lifted him up, he was light as a feather, and journeyed we two down the long road together. And when we arrived at the place where it was hid, I knelt on the ground and here's what I did. I started to dig with a stick that I found while Mr. O'Shea sat himself on the ground. But then his first trick he decided to pull. Look out, shouted he, tis a wild charging bull. But his prank didn't work for my eyes won't stray. No, you'll not get the better of me here today. For I had recalled what my dad had once did, once one night as he nestled me into the bed. If a leprechaun you should encounter by chance, don't look away from him, hold firm your glance. And if you should manage to wince, not or cower, tis then that you'll have him firm in your power. And then I'll read the rest of it for you later on another day. Okay, there that you go. That should end with Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Yeah. So anyways, uh, I, I do want to mention tomorrow night we will be having uh, Dale Graff, who is the director of the Stargate program uh, for uh, remote viewing and, and PSI. Uh, he'll that also be at, giant he'll also be uh, Circles of Wisdom on May 5th through May 7th and be doing a series of talks and uh, workshops. Uh, check out circlesofwisdom.com or call 978-474-8010, 978-474-8010. This is Dale Graff, the director of the Stargate program uh, for the government for years. So anyways, Jackie, thank you so much for being with us. And, thank you very uh, much, Ron and Steve. It was I'll, a joy to talk to you. I'll yep. see you soon, hopefully. You yep. will, hopefully. Ron, don't forget your bit of Irish. Right. Erin Gobra. Who took our fault? Mahu. Okay. No star. So, good night, everyone. And remember, keep your stick on the ice. Good night. God bless. Bye bye. From goalies to ghosties, long leggedy beasties. And things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law.